You're listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Clearly, they let me back in the building. Peter Sherman with you. This is the Alan Carter Show, and Alan will join us shortly. And uh, in case you haven't heard, we dropped the fifth game last night. You know, there are people with shifts who are just getting up now. Maybe they haven't heard. But there is a sixth game that is on Thursday night in Oakland. I fully expect them to bring home the trophy. I fully expect. And if by some remote chance that doesn't happen, there's a seventh game, and that's Sunday here at the Scotiabank Arena. So I have uh, I have heart, I have hope, and uh, I also have some information for you on the game. I, I am one of those, uh, I won't say long-suffering fans, because there's nothing long and suffering about it. I've seen every game. I've loved it. I'm not a sports fan, but uh, boy, do I get enthusiastic, like most of us do, when uh, it's our team and when we're in the final throes of uh, a strong potential to win the championship of the NBA for the first time ever. And, and Toronto hasn't won a championship at that level since what 93 i can't remember what 93 i guess it was uh it was the jays alan will know we'll have alan in a minute but i i wanted i want to give us our our listeners a bit of reaction again in case uh, you haven't heard any of this uh that, that comes from some of the key personalities who uh were, were in in the thick of it and nobody more so than Kawhi leonard uh who basically said he he couldn't take the last shot of the game let's listen I mean, two guys came up on me. You know, I mean, I don't know if I could have got a shot off. It's hard. I mean, if you got two guys on top of you, you have to try to find the right play. You know, we end up getting a shot in a corner, but it just didn't go off quick enough. I love listening to him because he's he just so even-handed and cool. And you know why when he, he is standing at the line and uh, and shooting uh, single pointers. He, he makes most of them. He's just he's just Mr. Cool. And Kyle Lowry, who basically talked about the fact that the Warriors got too many three-pointers. You think, Kyle? I think the fact that, you know, we, Steph and Clay were able to get out 14 and 13 threes is too many. I mean, for, for guys like them, they're, they're going to make uh, – you give them that many threes, they're going to make them. They're going to make some. So, um, no, we, got, we let them get too many threes off. No, personal opinion, I think that uh, the Raptors, who are – professionals and are not supposed to get spooked with anything. None of these teams are. I think they got a bit spooked at the opening uh, parts of the game. And we'll talk to Alan, who was there in a couple of minutes. But I personally got the idea that in the first two quarters, we were looking at a spooked uh, Raptors team. Why? Because Kevin Durant walked onto the floor. And uh, when he walked off, there was uh, a not-too-nice response from some of our crowd. I mean, you don't you don't applaud. Typically, you don't applaud somebody who has been injured and is going to be out for the rest of time. Here's Stephen Curry on uh, the crowd's response to Durant going down. Very confused around that reaction. Um, it's not my experience with, you know, the people of this city. And I commend, obviously, Danny Green and, and Kyle Lowry especially. I think they were the ones that were kind of signaling to the crowd, like, let's, let's check ourselves a little bit and understand that this is about an individual and a human being and not, oh, shoot, he's out, he's hurt, we won the championship. Like, that was probably their initial thought. And you hate to see, to see that when a guy's going, you know, through pain like that. All right, so that's uh, Stephen Curry on the crowd's response, Reed Durant. And uh, finally, let's just listen to seven seconds of what the fans had to say. Oh, 
from your mouth to God's ear. Let's bring the man himself on, Alan Carter, on the Alan Carter Show. You're a guest for a change. <laughs> oh, great to be on. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's a pleasure, Alan, and you've been uh, vitally involved, and I understand that uh, if you're not in Oakland already, you're on your way. Uh, actually, I am not going to Oakland uh, personally back, uh, back to Oakland. We're going to send another crew because uh, we're confident that the uh, the Raps are going to take it on Thursday. And when they do, we want to be here broadcasting from the streets when that party erupts. That kind of makes sense. Now, talk to me a little bit about uh, the personal aspects of being present last night. Well, I mean, it was electrifying uh, and nerve-wracking, uh, especially the, the, the first half, uh, and especially when Durant came out and just started to nail those threes. Remember, he put away 11 points. And just He barely seemed to touch the ball, and the ball was just going in for him. And then, you know, so it was sort of tender hooks for the, the fans. And then in the, in the second, it sort of, you know, started to change. And I, I just I, – I don't know what you think of uh, – this whole Durant situation, I think that, you know, sure the crowd was cheering that he was down, but they did respond to when I think it was from my vantage point, it was Serge Ibaka and Kyle Lowry who were saying, Hey, Hey, come on to the crowd. Like, you know, don't cheer right now. And then before KD was actually off the floor, there were chants of KD from uh, the crowd. And I thought that was, I thought that was respectful. I, I worry that you know the Warriors are going to take this as a rallying cry. Well, I, t- I think we read a lot into these things, and, and anytime you see this is in in sports, it's in politics, things that uh, that you and I have both been involved in. People like to uh, to cheer for the the person that they want, and they like to cheer when uh, when the person that they don't want goes down, uh, as was the case. It, it's just. I guess very strong emotions, and I don't think that uh, it's wishing somebody ill. I don't think so either. And you know, much is made about the city being a hockey city, and I'm not saying that the fans last night were hockey fans, but I mean, if you, I mean, it's not the same sport. But look at the NFL—they cart guys off in neck braces every other play. It seems like. And the crowd goes wild. Let me ask you this question. You heard my little summary uh, before you came on, and I, and I said, I think when Durant took the floor uh, at the opening of the game, no matter how professional you are, I think that kind of changed the face of what our guys were looking at, what our fans were looking at. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, you just saw the way that he handled the ball. I mean, just from, you know, he he fired up, I think, one air ball from three. And, you know, everybody was hoping that, that that would be him losing his range. But his first couple of shots were both three-point daggers. And keep in mind that, you know, prior to his injury, it, this is the the best isolation player in the league. In terms of one-on-one, a guy who can blow by you and score at will, well, that's Kevin Durant. And that's, I think, really for a fan. If you're a fan of the league, that's what's so sad about what happened last night is you hate to see a guy that is performing at that kind of an elite level suffer an injury that, at least from all in, uh, all indications now, that's going to be at least a calendar year for that to heal. And not just Kevin Durant. When you're talking about three-pointers, the first half and three-pointers on the other side were pretty amazing, and uh, and we didn't really seem to get going until uh, the third quarter. And and from my, persp- I mean, from my perspective, everybody's perspective, if one of those three-pointers hadn't gone in, we'd be finished. We'd be there. We'd have it. Yeah, well, I mean, the Raps 
they just chose the wrong moment to go cold, didn't they? With the two minutes to go and the lead in hand and the championship there, they just couldn't buy a bucket. And at the same time, the Warriors came down the other end. Clay hit two, Steph hit one uh, from long range. And those guys, that those guys eat from there. That's They've made their living and they have rings on their fingers because they can do that. And it's unfortunate that we just let that one slip away. I'm as confident as you are. Um, you know, we still got two more shots at it, but I worry about going back to Oakland where we were so successful in game three and four. Man, we're pushing our luck if we think we can win three straight games, straight games in Oracle. That, And then we're back for Sunday uh, if we don't get it. Um, and that's a coin flip. And I don't know how much more my gut can take. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm holding you to what you said uh, three minutes ago or so about uh, we're going to do wraps in six, like the fans say. And I'm with you on that. I'm I'm worried a little bit about one thing. I'm looking at the weather forecast, and uh, we're talking Thursday night. Thursday is uh, a high of 15, raining all day, and a low of 11. So it'll be down there by the time those people get into Jurassic Park uh, in the evening. And while we may not be playing here, there are going to be thousands of people out in the streets uh are, are you really um thinking i mean i know you're hoping are you really thinking you're going to get to cover fans who are happy and elated because the team won in oakland i i i mean i i'll tell you that i i made no no secret of this but at the beginning of the series i said raps in seven and i really hope i'm wrong i really hope it's raps in six i hoped it, i was really wrong and it would be raps in five but i you know like for example last night we were ready to go we were standing in our, our positions with our live uh, cameras ready to go on the crowd. And th- if that Lowry shot goes in, boom, we go on the air, taking people to write what's going on in the streets as the fans go absolutely me- mental. And uh, how, you know, you, you think about uh, just how nerve wracking that was for everybody and for every fan. I'm really hoping that we know a little bit before the end of the game. Well, you're going to get a chance in uh, in about um, 48 and 50 hours from now um, to, to find out whether or not we do it in six or whether we have to wait, bring it back here and do it in seven. I'm still confident. I know you are that uh, we're going to be a championship team. And Alan, thanks for joining me on your show. Thank you for having me on my show. I want to talk about uh, something serious, not that basketball isn't serious but this is really serious because it has to do with you and very much more so it has to do with your kids concussion we hear about concussion i've had a concussion in my life uh, and uh i think more than once and it's not um a toss it type of injury it's not something that just happens oh you hit your head so what Concussion is really serious, and there's not enough awareness of how serious it is. Kind of like uh, TIAs, mini strokes. People think, well, you know, I lost my ability to speak for a minute, and I got a little tingly. I don't have to do anything. Yeah, you do. You have to get to a doctor. And concussion awareness is like that. And uh, so what we're trying to deal with is the signs that you have to look for, precautions that uh, you take after a concussion appears to have been sustained, and the general difficulties that those who have sustained concussions have in slowing down and stopping what they're doing. So why am I talking about this today? Because if you watched that game last night, you may have seen a 30-second ad adjacent to the end of the game, uh, and it's called Hit, Stop, Sit. Let's listen. I'm doing whatever it takes, stopping and nothing, I'm up in your face, shaking it off, no matter the cause, I'm feeling the wind, I'm taking it all, I'm paving the way with the sweat and the blood, I'm at the top, rising above, I want the gold, give me the rush. 
Fresh Queen Midas. I got the touch. I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing. 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 So that's about concussion. That's a commercial that you're going to see more of. It is 21 minutes after 12 o'clock. That kind of dovetails with something that I'm a little bit aware of because I remember this passing in the legislature, something called Rowan's Law. And Rowan's Law is named uh, for Rowan Stringer, who was a talented rugby player. She died in uh, May of 2013. Uh, Mother's Day, as it happens, after suffering two concussions within a week while playing the game that she loved. She was 17. And this happened in Ottawa. You've heard the name Lisa McLeod. Lisa, uh, aside from being Minister of Social Services, is, was MPP for uh, Nepean. And that's where this occurred. And so she um, involved herself and uh, befriended the family. And here's Rowan's dad, Gordon Stringer, on the safety involving concussion. For us, it's hard to watch, but that's exactly what it needed to be. It's impactful. It makes a very clear statement as to what you need to be aware of. So that's Rowan, uh, Gordon Stringer, Rowan's dad. And here's Lisa McLeod, Minister Lisa McLeod, talking about the invisible injury of concussions. It's uh, easy to come off the ice when you have a sore ankle or you've broken your arm. It's much more difficult to get off the ice, the field, the pitch, whatever, if you have a head injury because it's invisible. So that's Lisa McLeod, uh, a little bit about Rowan's Law, which uh, she was the motivator. It was a private member's bill. It passed into law, uh, and it talks about concussions. But it cannot prevent concussions. Uh, And, in fact, I don't know that we can prevent concussions, but we can deal with them as they occur. Joining me on the line, Dr. Leon Rivlin. He is head of Humber River Regional Hospital's Emergency Department and uh, something of an expert on concussions. Hello, Dr. Rivlin. Hello. Good to have you with me. And uh, you've heard the setup, the uh, the lead into uh, getting you on the air to talk about this. Tell me about concussions, how they occur, and what we do when we suspect that uh, we, or more importantly, I guess, our kids have sustained that. Well, a concussion is a mild traumatic brain injury. So, in fact, what happens is that our head will hit something, our head will collide with uh, a still object or an object moving in an opposite direction, uh, even within a helmet. And what actually happens is that the brain continues to move within the head. And as a result, the brain moves in a way that can injure it and essentially can cause a bruise to the brain. Is probably the easiest way of thinking about it. Now, that's not exactly what happens, but that's essentially what the process uh, entails. Okay, so normally when you get a bruise to the body, you you uh, let it go. You know, it's kind of a demarcation. You you see it in in uh, maybe blood vessels have burst, and you've got some discoloration under the skin, and it ultimately goes away. What happens in the brain? Well, in the brain, you can sometimes see if there is a CT scan or an MRI done. You can actually sometimes see in a very severe concussion little areas of bleeding, just like you would when there is a bruise. That's a much more severe type of an injury. Most of the concussions are milder than that. And in those cases, what happens is that there may be a little bit of swelling in the area of the brain that becomes injured. Often, um, it's the front of the brain because it's the forehead uh, or the top of the head that collides with something, but it doesn't have to be. 
Okay, so when you talk about forehead, front of the head, even though it doesn't have to be, you think about things like kids playing uh, softball or even fastball when they're when they're younger. What do parents have to watch out for? Often parents have to watch out for normal functioning. So the first thing is if there's loss of consciousness at the time of the injury, we really worry about that. And in those kinds of situations, we want that child to come to the emergency department or that or that adult to come to the emergency department, typically by ambulance. The other thing that we have to remember is that the head is connected to the neck. So if there's a severe enough head injury, there may actually be an injury to the cervical spine, which is the neck, which could put the person at risk for a spinal cord injury as well. So in those cases, if it's a severe head injury, loss of consciousness, severe disorientation, don't move the person, Keep them in a comfortable position, in a neutral position, and call for an ambulance. So this is one of those things I was mentioning. I was kind of comparing it to TIA. It isn't a TIA, but it, it's one of those things where you can say, gee, I, I stopped being able to talk if, if, in a TIA um, instance. But in with a concussion, it could be, oh, I have a headache, but I'll be all right. In other words, these are things where people easily dismiss symptoms, which they should not be dismissing at all. Absolutely. More mild headaches or more mild uh, injuries cause headaches, nausea, a little bit of memory loss, maybe even flu-like symptoms where you just feel sort of run down, lethargic, and just not yourself, maybe can't concentrate properly. So those are the kinds of injuries or brain injuries that happen more typically with uh, your, your common kind of a concussion. I assume that the first thing that you would say in terms of prevention, because let's face it, accidents are called accidents for a reason. You can't prevent everything. But uh, in terms of trying to prevent concussion, helmets first. Absolutely. Helmets first and safety in terms of reasoning and making decisions about what you can do. Don't engage in activities that put you, even with a helmet, that put you at risk. For example, if you're not a good cyclist, don't bomb a hill. Uh, don't get on a skateboard and whip down uh, a hill, if, even with a helmet, if you think that you could uh, injure yourself and you can't stop. Um, and when playing sports, if there's a sport that requires a helmet, definitely wear the helmet. And if you get injured, um, get off the ice, get off the, get off the court and sit down and, um, and allow yourself the opportunity to recover. And if there's a head injury that causes headaches, memory loss, nausea, difficulty with thinking, then don't return to the game and seek medical attention. And obviously, if there is if there is a, any suspicion whatsoever, that's why we have people like you, and that's why we have emergency rooms. Most definitely. The emergency department, family physicians, uh, urgent care clinics, they all have medical personnel, which are, and of course, uh, paramedics, we all have per- Medical personnel were trained in managing concussions, and we would direct patients uh, accordingly to help them. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right. That's Dr. Leon Rivlin. He is head of the Humber River Hospital Emergency Department, talking to us about concussions, and it's something we should all know about, especially in, I mean, you can get it in in hockey wintertime, but um, driving bikes, playing baseball, all the things, soccer, all the things that we do in uh, the good weather time of year, dare I call this good weather, uh, these are things that we should know about for ourselves and, and certainly for our kids. Eyes on the prize, I be on the rise, got my demons
take a back seat, y'all into the right, yeah. I really love the way I feel. I really like the view from here. I'm seeing everything so clear. 2020, like my vision for the whole damn year. And I'm taking it in. You think I ain't slim? Yeah, I don't play around. No, I play the one, so don't play with me. Yeah, I face me. As you may have heard, and if you haven't, I'm telling you. The Liberal Party, you thought the Liberals weren't a party anymore? They're not a party in an official sense in the legislature of the province of Ontario at this point because of the uh, election results. And even after that, the loss of two additional MPPs. So I think they got five sitting MPPs. Uh, That does not a party make. But uh, there's no lack of support for Liberals across the province of Ontario. I believe they polled somewhere in excess of a million votes in the last election, lose it though they did. A lot of people lost their seats, but uh, they have every intention of rebuilding. And there are a number of people who have declared already that they are going to be candidates in the uh, upcoming leadership race. And one of them is uh, former MPP Stephen Del Duca. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Peter. Good to uh, speak with you again. Last time we met, it was in this studio. Now you're on the phone, and you were at the convention, obviously, over the weekend, and I believe it was decided that March 2020 is uh, when you find out if you're the winner, right? March 7th, 2020, specifically. Absolutely. Well, that'll be your D-Day. In the meantime, Uh one of the things that uh, has arisen and that probably merits explanation, and and I thought... A good thing to talk to you because, uh, first of all, you have skin in the game, and secondly, you know your way around conventions. Um, Liberals have traditionally, as a party, used delegated uh, leadership conventions to elect their leaders. And uh, I know what a delegated leadership convention is, and you don't, but everybody out there might not. And and compare it, if you would, when you describe this, with um, the push to get one-member, one-vote conventions going. 57% wanted that change, but it takes 66, two-thirds, to get it there. So you're going to wind up with delegated leadership conventions, but I think it's important that that be explained. Sure. So first of all, there was a really respectful but also vigorous discussion and debate within the, the party, within the political family of Ontario Liberals, and I think it was fantastic to see that this discussion took place. I was officially neutral with respect to the outcome. I'm a contestant in the race, and I figured, you know, I have a bit of a conflict, so I, I didn't I didn't want to be engaged directly in the discussion or supporting one or the other. And I would have been quite happy if we had switched to one member, one vote, or as we ended up staying with the current, I'll call it hybrid system that we have. So really quickly, the way that we go through the process of selecting leaders in the Ontario Liberal Party is that every member of the party is eligible to go and vote for the leader that they would like. And then the second half of that ballot, they get to choose up to 16 women and men and youth uh, who will be able to go to a convention. In our case, it'll be March 7th, 2020, as we talked about a second ago. And those delegates, two to 3,000 or so of those delegates, will actually, on behalf of the rank and file of the party, cast their votes until we actually have a winner. So so these people are chosen, let me get this specifically on the record here so people understand, they're chosen at the writing level. That's right, by every member of the party who is eligible to vote. So if somebody says uh, in, I don't know, take my former writing or, or yours, Vaughn, uh, if somebody says, I want to go to the convention, I'm prepared to pay my way, all the rest of it, he can stand as a person who would be delegated to vote on behalf of Vaughn, and he'd be one of 16. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. 
All right. So how does that compare with one member, one vote? That's anybody who wants to go goes and anybody who wants to vote votes, which opens the door to a whole other raft of issues like you can stack a convention technically, can't you? Yeah, like there are pros and cons with both of the systems, um, and that's why it was really great that our party decided to have the debate. The debate started a number of months ago. Obviously, it culminated this past weekend at our annual general meeting. Let me just say we had about a 1,000 women and men from across Ontario, very energized, very excited about the future of the party, pretty much a record turnout, especially given what we lost and lost badly last June. Uh, But that was the discussion and debate and deliberation that went back and forth, like I said, the convention made a decision on uh, on Saturday, and now the most important thing, which I believe is the case, and I certainly saw evidence of this at the AGM, at the annual general meeting, uh, the party is united. We've made the decision. We are now turning the page towards March 7th, but most importantly, towards June 2nd, 2022, when we will be ready to take on Doug Ford, beat him, and get Ontario back on track. Well, I don't know if I'm going to agree with the last line, being being as how I'm a dyed-in-the-wool conservative, but you and I have always gotten along. And as you know, I um, I believe, and I think you share this belief, that uh, there are a variety, there's a range of political views, and while I may be from one side and you may be from the other, nobody should be discounting liberals with uh, over a million votes polled in the last election. A mil- over a million votes polled, like I said, more than a thousand energized people at the convention we had this past weekend. Uh, and, and the fact of the matter is the brand is still strong. And most importantly, people in this province, after about a year of seeing Doug Ford's destructive policies and sort of reckless approach to governing this province, I think people are and, and will continue to be looking for a pragmatic, responsible, middle-of-the-road alternative to invest in the things that matter most to them. A strong oh, economy, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing talking and points. You, and, you, and, you, and, and, and listen, Peter, absolutely. And, and listen, you, you may disagree with me, and I respect that, but at the end of the day, what I saw on the weekend, uh, a thousand people ready to take on Doug Ford. It should scare Doug Ford like you wouldn't believe to see that that many liberals are ready to take him on and beat him. Well, this is not the day for a debate between you and me, but perhaps we'll have one because we've got about a year and a half, a little more, uh, during which time you're going to be devoting yourself to becoming the leader of the Liberal Party, and I have no doubt that there will be some uh, push and shove on the air. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Peter. Great to hear you. All right. Stephen Del Duca, former MPP, a wannabe leadership candidate for the Liberal Party of Ontario, which will um, be by convention March the 7th, 2020. And um, what can I say? I like Stephen. He was my neighbor when I was in Thornhill and he was in Vaughan, and I wish him well. I do want to uh, deal with uh, one other. It's it's not a trivial matter. It's, it's a matter that um, should be brought to your attention in the couple of minutes we've got before I've got to take another break. Uh, six premiers. Uh, six Canadian premiers. So we're talking about, you know, 10 provinces, six premiers. That's a lot of weight. And um, they have written a letter to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau about national unity, which they're saying would be threatened if bills C-48 and C-69 become law. And I know what you're saying. What the hell's Bill C-48 and Bill C-69? And I don't expect you to know. In fact, I have to look these things up myself because numerology doesn't do it for me. You've got to tell me what the bill's about. So six premiers have asked uh, Trudeau, and this was yesterday, so it's very recent, to basically bury these two pieces of federal legislation because they say that uh, we're looking at injury to Canada's energy and natural resources sector. And 
I'm going to have to say I agree with them. And and if this were um, a show where I could take uh, any number of calls, and I can't take any on this, I would probably open the phones and ask for your opinion. Because when you tell me that, let's take C-48, the Oil Tanker Moratorium Act, this is, if passed into law, and it's and it's basically about to be, um, it, it would uh, make it illegal for all time, at least until somebody else turned it over if they had a will, to uh, prohibit oil tankers off the northern coast of British Columbia. And so I ask this question, not rhetorically, I ask it in reality. If, if you've got a country that's based on rocks and trees, as they call resources, if you talk to your stockbroker, he'll say, well, we're a country of rocks and trees. That's what we are. And, and um, the resource that is uh, of, of most importance to people out west is oil that comes out of the ground in Alberta. You may like hydrocarbons or you may not like them, but we have something to sell that comes out of the ground and has a transportation problem. The transportation problem is supposed to be overcome by uh, enhanced pipeline capacity that, if built, would bring all of that oil, or at least a goodly part of it, to the coast of British Columbia. If you bring it to the coast of British Columbia, you've got to put it on tankers, and you've got to send it to the Japans of the world and the Philippines of the world, places that don't produce their own oil. And that's what we want to do. That's what Canada's about. And if six premiers say we need to do this, it's because they are concerned with the economy of the country. Uh, And if that bill is passed, it becomes impossible. So how does that oil come out of the ground and then be disposed of in a way that makes it profitable for Canada and for Alberta first? And I don't know the answer to that. Then there's Bill C-69, which is legislation that would change the way regulatory authorities evaluate and assess proposed new major resources projects. And that's been turned upside down by the independent body of the uh, of the Senate. So we don't know where that's going to go. But the premiers have gotten together. And, and uh, yes, our premier, Ford, is in there. Uh, the six premiers are Doug Ford and New Brunswick's Blaine Higgs and Manitoba's Brian Pallister and Saskatchewan's Scott Moe, Jason Kenney in Alberta. Uh, and all of, of those people lead small-c conservative parties opposed to the Trudeau liberals, as well as Northwest Territories' Robert McLeod, the premier there, who happens to to be the brother of Liberal MP Michael McLeod. So there's a lot to be considered, and the Commons is still meeting, and you should be aware of that because you're going to hear more. Hey everyone, it's Jojo. Welcome back to my YouTube channel. You guys, today I have such a fun video plan for you all. I have been waiting to do this video for a very long time, and finally today I am doing it for you all. As you can see, we are outside of my dressing room right now, and that is because I'm about to take you guys inside, and we're going to do a little tour. Get ready with me. So I'm going to do all my makeup. I'm going to show you how I do my face paint. I'm going to redo my hair. Then I'm going to put my bow in. Then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and it's going to be showtime. How many of you are out in your car, or sitting at your computer, or walking along the street with your earbuds in, and heard that and said, what the hell? And and frankly, if I had been out there with you, I would have done the same thing because this is something I don't know anything about. We think in radio, and you probably think in general life, that you know a lot about social media. There's so much going on in social media that we don't know about. And this is kid-oriented. So this may be educational if you are a parent of young children. That was Jojo Siwa. And we've got somebody with us who knows who Jojo Siwa is, and can talk to us a lot about uh, the the scene in general. Her name is Megan Coley, and she's with Global Online, which is our digital arm. Welcome, Megan. Hi, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. And um, I was talking to uh, Megan off-air about 
a fascination that you have with this aspect of social media. And you're not a kid. You're a young woman, but you're not a kid. And this is really something that gets millions of hits on YouTube, and it is for kids. Tell me about Jojo Siwa. So Jojo Siwa is um, a bit of an obsession of mine. Um, She's a 16-year-old YouTuber. She got her start on Dance Moms. I don't know if you know the show. It was on TLC. It was famous for having all kinds of drama with children involved. Um, Now she is a singer. She's a professional dancer. She has a line of hair bows. That's her signature thing is a giant hair bow on the top of her head. Um, in 2018, she reportedly sold 45 million bows. Is this like Hannah Montana 2019? This is like Hannah Montana in the digital age where kids have access to everything that she does on Instagram, on YouTube, on Snapchat. She she lives in all the spaces. Um, and what fascinates me about her is you, you heard the clip. Uh, for me, that was super grating and her voice kind of gave me a headache but kids flock to her and her energy and and all the things that she does it's so interesting so if you're a parent out there you should probably already know who jojo siwa is probably do and if you and if you don't you better find out because this is this is attracting kids in their millions oh yeah she has 9.7 million youtube followers and 8 million instagram followers so she's She's making big coin she's bringing in reportedly seven seven figures a year Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, now there's something happening with our sister company, the Global TV people, uh, with regard to somebody who is Canadian, basically Toronto-based, yeah. who's not quite JoJo Siwa, but also a big attraction on social media, and her name is Lily Singh. Yeah, she's super cool. So yeah, she's from Scarborough, born and raised. Um, she is. She got her start on YouTube, uh, making these sort of like sketch comedies she would dress up as different characters and she just took off she really you know got in there at the early stages of uh, youtube popularity now she has 20 to 30 million views per per uh, episode she puts out on youtube good god she's more popular than jordan peterson but <laughs> kids don't like him so. no yeah no the kids love her and yeah now she's having or she's gonna start her own uh, late night talk show this fall and yeah global news will have that on our sister channel there that's Absolutely amazing. And it shouldn't be amazing because this is a generation. And let's talk about social media from your perspective because mm-hmm. you do this for a living. And I know from just watching your body language, you love it. They say that if you if you do work that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And, mm-hmm. and it sounds like that describes you. So you're looking at these things. And if you had kids, you wouldn't let them near this stuff for a while. I don't think so. You know, it's a blessing and a curse, the power of social media. I think that people like Lily Singh and Jojo Siwa, they have skills and they're they're figuring out a way to use all of these different platforms to really bring those skills to the people and monetize them. And so they should, you know, that's, I would say that's, that's life. digital entrepreneurship. Yeah. yeah I find it admirable. Um, but what scares me a little bit about YouTube is that, um, you know, they've been in the news lately. They, their rules about what content is allowed to go up uh, are can be a little shifty. Um, And I think what you're getting on there is just swaths and swaths of content, so much content that, you know, tons of people are watching it every, all these pieces of content every day. And there's really no monitoring about what's being said or who's saying it or what's being shown. So if I were to have a kid, I think, yeah, that, that sheer amount of um, content out there and me not being able to, to, 
to You can't monitor everything, no. No, yeah. So that that part scares me a little bit, yeah, because these kids are really impressionable, you know? So are these younger kids, or are they mostly what you'd call tweens? Like 12-ish. You know, I think it ranges. If you give a six-year-old an iPad, I have a six-year-old cousin, and he has figured out how to, you know, find the channels he likes, even with the parent sensors on and whatever else you can put on. He figures it out. So I think it also depends on who the creator is. But you might have somebody uh, like Lily Singh talking about maybe a little bit more mature adult content. She is in her 30s. And you could have a kid as young as 10 watching that content. So it's, I think you have to assume all the kids are finding this content, the internet. Okay, David, very quickly, because mm-hmm. we're almost out of time. Sure. David Dobrik or Dobrik, mm-hmm. Liza Koshy, mm-hmm. and Jake Paul. These are names that uh, you might have heard coming out of your kid's room. W- who are these people? Yeah, so a lot of these creators had their start on Vine. It was an old uh, social media platform yep. that shuttered in uh, 2017. Um, and that started out as just six-second videos. A lot of these, um, ki- they were kids when they started. They're now in their early 20s. And they have millions of followers on YouTube. Um, Some of their content is uh, great and interesting, and it's vlogs and interesting conversations. Some of the content can get a little dicey. Jake and and Logan Paul have been in the news a few times for uh, creating content that can get a little controversial. Um, But yeah, they're they're all it's they're amazing stories because now they are fully you know I was saying off air multi hyphenate you know entrepreneurs. Liza Koshy has transformed her career into um, so many different things. She hosted the Met Gala red carpet for Vogue earlier this year. She interviewed President Obama. Like she's very much on the front lines of what this new age of media. So these looks are not like. these are not stars of tomorrow. These are stars of today. There, yeah, it's happening now. Megan, thanks so much for coming and uh, filling us in. Thank you, Megan Coley of Global Online talking to us a little bit about uh, what your kids may be watching and uh, what the future portends. That's the end of the show. I want to thank uh, Dusty Lawless for audio. I want to thank Rebecca Coots for uh, production of the Alan Carter Show today. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and it's going to be showtime.